What's going on, everyone? It's the Pitch Cow Podcast with me, Pete Ball, and Chris Wentworth. Today is a special episode that uh, if you're one of our 50 to 60 listeners, you probably don't care too much, but I promise you there will be analysis. There will be stuff you can follow. And 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 this is an episode completely dedicated to Chris and I's most important leagues. Now, I should identify right off the bat, I'm in way too many fantasy baseball leagues. I am in over, at this point, it's over 25 leagues, and it's spread across four different platforms. I have a couple on NFBC, I have one on Fangrass, I have three on Yahoo, and I have like 67 on ESPN. And out of all these leagues, even the ones where I have money, I have skin in the game this year, baby. I would still gladly lose those leagues to win World Series of Fantasy Baseball again, just because I like sticking it to the guys in that league. But anyway, I'm... We're, we're very lucky to be here today, Chris, with a champion, aren't we? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I feel honored to be sitting with two champions. I hope to be joining uh, the Green <laughs> the green Jacket Masters at some point. Um, also, 50 to 60 listeners, Pete, I think you're I think you're, you're giving us a lot more praise than we, we might deserve. I don't know, because but... like, so you're probably right, because we normally get between 50 and 60 listens on each of our episodes. But I do have a feeling that that's like a bunch of guys in a warehouse in Macedonia, just like, just like trying to scam people. And I, I, I don't know. It's probably fudged numbers, but I have no reason to lie. I, I know that we just record this and listen to this ourselves. So that's perfectly fine with me. I think it's it's good conversation. So we're here with John. He was our 2020 champion. It's a Mickey Mouse ring. It has an asterisk. But John, tell us about your championship. Give us some thoughts. Oh well, it's uh, it's great to be here with you today. Um, I would like all the listeners to know too, because I don't think it's really discussed on pitch count, but. The, how many leagues how how serious pete takes fantasy because we don't we never really we never really go too much into like how the hot dog is made but um you know the <laughs> when pete first started fantasy you know we only did we only really did espn and pete had about 10 fake emails to make for uh for ESPN accounts because they'd only limit him to 10 teams per account. There was a point in time where I think he had about 40 teams in 40 in like 40 leagues that he was checking. And here's the kicker everyone, none of them were for money. They were all just because it's like, oh no, it's what I do. I win leagues and I run this. And there was a hierarchy of like, yeah, well that's like the league. And then there's this one. Oh, this is this. And it's like he would he would literally keep track. So when, when we talk about fantasy baseball and like people who do it for the love of fantasy baseball, Pete has been doing it for the love of fantasy baseball from the jump. So I just wanted to make that clear to everybody listening who's like, oh, well, this guy, you know, he, he listens, he plays, always oh, playing for skin of the game. No, it's not like he, he runs like two teams a year. It's like and out of those like 30 teams and everything about like 15 of them were leagues that he created. And he was like, yeah, I'll make a league. I'll make all the leagues. Like, he, he wasn't just the MLB. He was like the MLB, the MILB, and probably the NCAA at the same point in time. I do but, not want to be associated with the NCAA in any fashion. But the real reason why I like being in so many leagues is I like beating basically the same people over and over and over again. So that aside, <laughs> bragging aside, I mean, I haven't won in a few years now. Uh, and with that comment, I probably now won't win for like 40 years or something like that. Knock on wood. Anyway, uh, we wanted to break down the first round of our our draft. This league, you know, for those of you that are 
not in this league and, and listening to this podcast or even guys that are in the league, but just don't know. I mean, it's 2021 season that we're entering and we've been in a league since 2008. So we've been around for a very long time. And although the categories have changed, not a whole lot has changed in terms of the way this league is structured. Essentially, everybody keeps three players. You can't keep any less. Obviously, you can't keep more. And the there's no cost to the keepers. So I have Alex Bregman. I love Alex Bregman. I could keep him for the next 10 years. It's not going to matter. It's it's the you, There's no price tag attached. So I think that's important context for understanding our approach to this draft. And this year, uh, we have some interesting players going into the draft, like guys who would definitely be keeper worthy in other leagues. But for one reason or another, in this particular league, they're not being kept. And it's headlined by... Kyle Tucker, Clayton Kershaw, and George Springer. And we can loop in last year's MVP, Jose Abreu, as well. Now, the categories for this league are your standard 5x5. Five five. However, it's 7x7. Seven seven. So what I mean by that is we have the, the 10 normal categories, but we've also added in total bases and... What am I missing? Total walks. Bases and K walks. per nine. Oh. Uh, no, well, that's for pitching. So oh, yeah. uh, we added in total bases and walks for hitting, and we have strikeouts per nine innings and quality starts for pitching. And I love having both wins and quality starts. It may sound redundant, but I think you end up getting the pros of both. You know, when your guy throws eight innings and only gives up one earned run, but gets a no decision, you're still going to get a quality start. And in those situations, you'll still get a win in a, in a lot of similar situations. So it's not that big of a deal. I like having both. Uh, but anyway, let's, let's dive in guys. Uh, we're going to go pick by pick in the first round. Now that would mean that we wouldn't talk about the team pitches with a P. This is a PG program. Pitches be crazy because Evan traded away his first round pick, but we will talk about Evan's situation at the end anyway. So the first pick in this year's draft is actually somebody that is in this right now. And no, it is not our league champ, John. It is Chris. Chris, the pressure is on. Now you don't have to show your cards, but I feel like with the first overall pick, it's not that big of a deal. So are you leaning any kind of way right now? Um, well, I, I would definitely be lying if I said I wasn't leaning towards pitching, but that's because my keepers are three hitters. Uh, this year I'm going in with Acuna, Bellinger, and Seager, Corey Seager. As what a my terrible th- keeper set. Yeah, I know. I really hate it. Um, <laughs> no, it, it's great. It's a great keeper set. I'm thrilled to have it. I worked pretty hard to get it. I'm not going to lie. I drafted Acuna like with my first round pick when he was still in the minors and um, everybody kind of thought I was crazy for wasting it. But I just I had a feeling on this guy and I went with it and I stuck to it. And then, you know, in, ter- in terms of the other two, I drafted Corey Seager last year in like the sixth round when everybody was sleeping on him. And I traded for Bellinger when he was a rookie after he hit like 10 home runs in a row. So it's like I took these chances on these guys. I'm not trying to say that I'm, you know, the smartest dude in the room, but I at least got lucky with the three picks that I went with. So that kind of is where like what's led me to this year being first round pick and leaning towards pitching because pitching is just it seems like this is not the year to keep three hitters, but I didn't really have much of a choice. I didn't have uh, one pitcher that I felt super confident about it. And, and I didn't want to sell low on the three stud hitters that I had. So I decided to keep all three hitters and I got lucky enough to get the first round pick. So I'll have my choice of whatever pitcher I want. Now, where that ultimately leads me to is, first of all, disappointment that I can't draft somebody like Kyle Tucker, who I think is going to be a stud. And that's kind of just like, a keeper that you'd get for free, basically, if you had that first round pick. So that's, that's one element, but the other element is I'm really, I have it 
dead set that pitching is where I'm going to go. And now I got to look at who's available. So I see Kershaw. I'm a Dodger fan. Obviously, that that's something that excites me. Um, but, you know, he's getting up there. He's got back issues. Uh, there's a lot of cons or a lot of potential risks um, to drafting him. So, you know, that's that's in the back of my head. And then I see a few of the other names that I really, really like here in terms of pitching are going to be somebody like, um, believe it or not, Chris Paddock is somebody that I've always had a keen eye on. And I think that he's keeper worthy. He's entering into a really good um, phase of his career. I think that I really like the curveball there, but that seems a little risky itself. So do I kind of split the middle and go with somebody like Tyler Glass now, who has proven himself to a much higher degree than Paddock to be like a strikeout machine? Um, he can be very, very effective in close game situations. Um, last year, you know, it was a shortened season and he didn't really, I think his, his ERA ballooned up pretty high last year. But, you know, I'm not really looking into that and thinking that that's what it's going to be this year. I think that he's a K machine and in our league that counts strikeouts as well as um, K per nine. That's really, really valuable stuff. He's a young dude. Um, you know, he's not on a as good of a team as he was last year in terms of like, you know, they were in the World Series last year. And I don't think that anybody expects them to be as good as they were last year. But he's still a really, really good pitcher with plenty of years ahead of him. Not a lot of uh, mileage on that arm. And he strikes out people at, like last year, his K per nine would be you know what I mean? If you stretched that out to a full season, that would be like how many strikeouts, like 300, 350. I don't know, something like that. It's just he's like I said, just strikeout machine. And I don't think that that skill set is going anywhere. I actually more in the camp glass now as well, mainly because I think I think that it was they had on on the rates and barrels like super pod that they had this week. They were talking about pitching and the big thing they talked about was innings limits and kind of a big thing that, that was mentioned was the fact that like. They're going to need guys to throw these innings. Like they're not, the innings aren't going to go away. Everybody, not everybody can be on a pit on like some crazy pitch count limit. And I think even, even though glass now has not pitched that many innings in his career. And like he, you know, did kind of tailor off at the end of last year, especially in the playoffs, they're going to need him to pitch more than he's had to pitch before. And I don't think that, uh, I don't think somebody who's going to be, at the end of next year, who's going to be in their age 29 season uh, is, is somebody who like, you can keep taking kind of like these baby steps with. Um, I think that he's going to get the starts. He might not have like the innings to begin with, but I wouldn't be surprised if he started like 27 games, maybe, maybe a little bit more. Um, I do think that also we are moving, you know, we've talked about, you were talking about in the past with how our league has gone by, but like, how we've had in the past, it's been such a power league. We were talking about this last night and how I think that especially in keeper leagues, it's so important to have young pitching because that's something that you can't really find in a draft. If you don't have, uh, it's not if you don't have, but if you don't have those, uh, if, if you don't have like quality young aces uh, that are being kept or at least one for that matter, it can make your life in these keeper leagues such such a difficult time because then you're trying to find aces in the rough uh, or you're trying to find somebody potentially outside of what the top 20 starting pitching um, who who's going to be your ace and then carry it into next year. And then you keep that cycle going like Chris, who, who was your first round pick last year or your first pick last year? I actually don't really remember. I didn't have a first rounder. So it was, was my Jesus Lizardo. 
Yeah, that's like, right. I think that like, you, you know, even with these young guys, like taking a chance like that, it can, it can bite you so bad. Um, so yeah, I, I would applaud taking somebody like glass now, or even if you felt like the safety in terms of innings, even though I'm not so sure about like, you know, what LA is going to do, but Kershaw, I think would be another one. I like both Kershaw and glass. Now I don't, I don't think you can really go. Well, you could go wrong hindsight, but going into the draft, I don't think you can really go wrong. I mean, Kershaw's strikeout numbers continue to go down sort of year by year. And although I, st- I still think he's going to be good for a K per nine of, of a, better than a strikeout per inning, Glasnow is going to be so good in that category that I'm, I'm, I'm with that pick. We can't spend 12 minutes on every single team or we're going to be here until, you know, 4 p.m. So, and just so everybody knows, it's 12 o'clock right now. Don't worry, this is not going to be a four-hour podcast. But we do need to move <laughs> on. And I think the next guy up is actually very easy. We don't need to spend a lot of time. We all know Andrew is going to take Jared Kalenic, But jokes aside, hopefully, you know, if he does do that, hopefully it works out. But I think the optimal pick here for Andrew has the second overall pick. First of all, his keepers are Blake Snell, Kenta Maeda, and Manny Machado. It's low-key, kind of a stacked keeper situation. Like, I, I actually really like his keeper situation. So I think Kyle Tucker best bat on the board is a slam dunk decision here. That way, if Maida kind of ages out, he's a little bit older and doesn't really produce. I think he's going to be his next keeper up Kyle Tucker. So Chris, what are your thoughts there? What should Andrew do with that second pick? No, I totally agree with you. And not even just for the sake of time, uh, apologies for spending all that time on me. I just kind of was like, Hey, first overall pick and I'm here, but either way, you know what I mean? I think it was worthwhile, but um, yeah, no, I, I do, I do really agree that Kyle Tucker is the pick to go here. I don't think that Kalenic would be the stupidest pick in the world, um, you know, unless he spends all years in the minors. But, uh, <laughs> like, you know, I think that taking Tucker is, like, the same thing, but just having, like, two years advanced in the future. You know what I mean? So it's like he's ready to go. He's going to be a starter. He's probably – he looks like a stud. He's like – you know what I mean? So it's it's just a slam dunk in my opinion. If he really wants Kalenic, I mean, is anybody going to take Jared Kalenic in the first two rounds? Like, come on. No, especially with the the injury in there too. Like, he's he's not currently playing, and he might not get called up. And now you have the service time manipulation. You know, I, I don't I don't see that happening. There's absolutely no way he starts the year in the majors unless there's an injury, especially with the way that Taylor Trammell has performed. I mean, Trammell is currently battling somebody else for for left field. It's not even a slam dunk that he gets there, and Trammell's been in the minors a lot longer. So Kalenic's going to get a shot. I mean, once the he's he's worthy of a pick. He's probably worthy of an early pick, but second overall, no way. Next up, uh, so we got Tucker off the board. We got Glass now off the board. Is Jimmy Jimmy a former league champion himself? His keeper situation is a little bit older of a situation, if I remember correctly. He's keeping Anthony Rendon. Jacob DeGrom and Nolan Arenado. So, like, you never complain about having Arenado and Rendon, but when your utility is already filled up, that's 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 a tough spot to be in heading into the draft. So, John, assuming that Tucker and Glasnow are off the board, you've got Jimmy's keeper situation. Who are you keep or who are you taking? Sorry, I am. Uh, I'm going to take Paddock. Uh, I think uh, I think Paddock kind of has the. Uh... As much as Shohei is kind of, you know, boom or bust type thing, I think he really needs somebody who's going to get, like, who's going to be a pitcher. Uh, or, like, you know, you don't really necessarily have to worry about, like, a lengthy rotation. Maybe Definitely probably an inning, innings limit. But um, I think with, with what we've seen kind of, like, in the 
in the preseason in spring training with Paddock and how, you know, like, again, I was to refer back to that podcast that, that uh, with, you know, Saris and fast and Pollock and uh, Derek Van Riper, like they were talking about how, how Paddock wasn't even really that bad last year. Um, like the, the kind of like the numbers towards the end of the year were actually pretty decent and he was a lot better than people than like a lot of the surface numbers showed. So I think to get somebody with that kind of upside, um, in the first round, I think I think I would go Paddock. So I'm shocked with how much you guys are, are bringing up Paddock already. I, and Otani, no way. But Chris, go ahead. I wouldn't hate it. Um, I wouldn't hate that pick. I, I think that, you know, given who Jimmy is, um, you look at his keepers, all three of them are kind of older. Um, and to be honest with you, if you asked me, like, if Arenado and Rendon and DeGrom all stink this year, if they all really stink would you keep them again next year? I'd probably say yes. And if that's the case, then I don't necessarily have to worry about my keeper situation. So I would, if I was Jimmy, I'd go with Kershaw. I'd get a second ace in there. I'd have DeGrom and Kershaw as my pitchers. I'd have Rendon and Arenado as hitters, and I'd be feeling pretty confident. Yeah, if you're worried about keepers, I mean, I feel like I'm with Chris here. Like Guys like Yoan Moncada, Austin Meadows, there's going to be upside picks when his turn comes around again. But we just spent so much time talking about how pitching is so hard to find. And now we're going to try and take a guy who hasn't completely proven it at the major league level and had an ERA of like 97 last year over Clayton Kershaw. I, I wouldn't do that. I literally just forgot about Kershaw. That's what happened. <laughs> okay. It wouldn't shock me if Paddock outperformed him. Right. I mean, all it takes is a Kershaw injury and Paddock take a step forward, but there's no way I'm, I'm taking Paddock over, over Kershaw. And I might take Corbin Burns over Paddock as well. But anyway, so we've got now uh, number one overall, Tyler Glass now. Number two overall would be Kyle Tucker. Number three, Clayton Kershaw. And I, you know, I don't want the people in our league to feel insulted or anything like that. We're, this is just what we would do if we were in your position. Uh, I'm definitely not trying to get in anyone's head. I'll do this as honestly as I can. Um, but this is just from our perspective what would go down. And we are... We're just we're just a couple of smooth-brained apes, yeah. <laughs> and we don't know much, so don't you could take this for what it is. Right. Fourth up is Varen. Now Varen is in an advantageous situation because he's keeping two starting pitchers, and both of them, in my mind, are elite. And that's Brandon Woodruff and Garrett Cole, and he's off on the right foot with a sort of do everything hitter in Xander Bogarts. So, John, you've got the fourth overall pick. You're Varen. What are you doing with that pick? Pitching. Um, I think if you, I, I think if you're in that position where you have really two, two kind of, like you said, elite guys, uh, in that top tier, um, you're not gonna like Xander Bogarts, great player, uh, probably gonna get, you know, gonna get you average, gonna get you a little bit of pop at shortstop, but he's not really gonna, he's not gonna put your team over the top. It's not like you have Trout or, or, you know, somebody with a lot of power, especially in a, t- in a league that counts total bases, um. I think I would go with best pitcher available right there. Uh, whether that be uh, whether that be Kershaw, whether that be uh, Corbin Burns, I think I would rank them Corbin uh, Kershaw, Corbin Burns, and uh, and Paddock because again I even forgot Burns is there. But uh, I think I would go probably Corbin Burns. Get the two Brewers guys up there. Uh, that team has a lot has improved tremendously defensively with having Colton Wong and also having Jackie Bradley Jr. in the outfield. You can only imagine that's going to be a help to the pitchers. So yeah, I I might actually honestly go Corbin Burns and then see if I can get like a next tier hitter on the uh, on the next turn. I'm not gonna lie, I I don't 
like hate it because I think that having those three pitchers would be crazy and just like you'd be raking in a ton of like strikeouts and and hopefully quality starts and wins but i think that if i already have cole and i already have woodruff and i only have bogarts i think that like you said you know what i mean he's not trout so he's not like you know the most elite hitter in the world i would definitely go with a hitter in this situation especially considering that george springer is just sitting there right now you know what i mean like that dude is just you know i think that him in the leadoff spot for the blue jays is just going to be great this year and i i really think that you know Pete and I kind of broke them down and Pete gave his overall statistics for the last 162 games. And they're just God numbers, dude. You know what I mean? And for some reason, this guy, you know, it's, it's not that we really disrespect him, but we kind of undercut him because he doesn't steal bags anymore, really. And he's not going to hit, I don't think he's going to really hit 300 ever. He might hit like 280. And that's, for me, that's a really good George Springer season. Um, But he's somebody that I just think those counting stats and those numbers are just going to be such such critical value especially for um you know what i mean the first round you need to have somebody that's going to get those things and i think he's going to do it yeah we count walks and george springer is definitely a walker i'm torn i kind of like both angles because on one hand i think if you take burns and you really solidify having at this point in the draft the best one through three in the rotation i think you could find some pretty awesome hitters with your next two picks to try and level the playing field at the same time, Burns has only done it for one 60-game season, whereas George Springer is like this bona fide stud. And I don't want to ignore hitting. I mean, like We're a league that has a... Like you could say, well, there's just as many pitching categories, but we got a lot of hitting categories. And George Springer contributes ideally to every single one of them, except for stolen bases. So I, I don't know. I, I, I'm torn here, but... Uh, I don't know. We'll see, we'll see what Farron does. I'm not going to make a call. <laughs> I like both your approaches. Um, so let's let's move on to the next guy up here, which would have been Evan, but he traded his pick for Zach Gallon, who, if the draft shakes out the way that we've gone so far, maybe would have been available. I mean, I think I would take both Kershaw and, um, I'm sorry, Kershaw and Glasnow above Gallon, but uh, you know I could see him going this way. He ensures he gets his ace and Zach Gallon, but it was a hefty price to pay. Because even if Gallon was gone, well, that might mean that Kershaw, Burns, or Glasnow fell to him. Although it sounds Chris seems pretty committed to Glasnow. Either way, we could overanalyze that all we want. Evan went out and got his guy, and I respect that. With that said, that now means that Matt, who has maybe the best keepers in the league. In my opinion, I think Zach has the best, Chris has the second best, and Matt is third. But we're we're grasping at straws there i mean both all three of those sets are elite so and they're all hitters so he's keeping jose ramirez mike trout and why can't i recall who he is lindor francisco lindor that is just such a silly keeper set so chris you've got all these hitters let's assume that uh we'll go with we'll go with you this time so let's say george springer's off the board so Springer's gone, Tucker's gone, Kershaw's gone, and Glasnow's gone. You've got four hitters or three hitters already in the bank. They're three of the best hitters in baseball. They pretty much do every category. What are you using this pick on? Well, I'm definitely, you know, I myself am keeping three hitters, and I think that if you keep three hitters, you almost are kind of forced to draft a pitcher, a starting pitcher in the first round, especially in our league. As much as I hate to feel like I'm pigeonholed and I can't like draft best available player because I love doing that. I think that when you keep three hitters, especially this year, you got to go pitcher first. So if Corbin Burns is there, if Chris Paddock is there, those are probably the two names that I'm looking at the most. Um, just out of anybody else that's on the list, I'm trying to take a look at. I'm not going Lance Lynn. I'm not going... Hyunjin Ryu, not going Hendricks or 
Berrios, and these are the people in terms of ADP on ESPN who are going that in that order. Um, I mean, yeah, I'd probably have to go Burns or Paddock, and that debate for me would just come down to are you taking last year's numbers more seriously or are you taking kind of like track record and like uh, pedigree and stuff like that into into account more because if you are if you're taking the pedigree and you're taking like you know what i mean sort of like the overall career even though albeit they're both short like paddock's the guy you know what i mean he's proven it a little bit more than burns over the course of a couple of years whereas burns has only proved it really last year but what burns did last year is is to be taken into serious consideration because it's it's crazy good so it's like you know i can understand either pick in this case um, if, if I'm him and I have the three hitters, like I said, probably going to go for like most media upside. And if that's the case, I might go Corbin Burns. I think that there is a, the fact that Matt has two first round picks. Um, I think that if, I think that if Kershaw or Corbin Burns is there, absolutely go Kershaw or Corbin Burns. However, I think there's a significant kind of drop off after that, after that. And since he has a pick later in the first round, I would much rather kind of solidify being like okay you know what let's keep going with the hitting like if uh if jose abreu is there and you can lock down first base to then have that kind of power have jose ramirez have jose abreu have trout have lindor or even if you wanted to go a different route if you said you know what i have jose ramirez i have frankie lindor i have mike trout why don't i get out adalberto mondesi and then i'm going to lock down steals every single week and then maybe get some other uh, maybe get some more the only problem there is that he's shortstop eligible so it'd probably be more along the lines of Whit merrifield but i do think that like since he has that second first round pick and since pitching will be there it's not going to be this gigantic you know 28 pick gap in between picks um I think that I would definitely go for whoever the best player available is, especially if they're a hitter. Yeah, I was thinking the same kind of strategy, too. My only concern is the drop-off. Like, let's say he takes Jose Abreu, which I think would be a great pick. The drop-off between that and his next pick, which is not until Matt picks 15th. So we're talking, you know, there's still going to be 10 picks in between. those. A lot of starting pitchers are going to go. Like, a a lot of them. There's not going to be Paddock. There's not going to be Burns. Uh, there might not even be Plesac if he's comfortable with that, because then he'll pick again right after you go. So he'll have two picks within the next, you know, 13 picks or whatever. Maybe he can kind of arrange it best player available. That's a tough one. I think I'll, I'll give the nod to Chris on this one, just because I'm, I'm going to assume he's going to take the starting pitcher. And when I say give the nod, I mean, just for the sake of these projections, I'll, I'll assume that, that Burns will be off the board, but that is a really tough call because if Abreu is there, the reigning, MVP. That's that's tough to pass up to have an offense of those four in a sixteen team league. You theoretically you wouldn't have to draft any offense for like you know what I mean, like five or six rounds. So I kinda like that strategy too. I think that you, that he I think he can go either way if he's listening into this. Yeah, and then I mean he could kind of just arrange where like, all right, I'm gonna kill everyone in offense, so let me just take safe starting pitchers because Lance Lynn's probably gonna fall. Kyle Hendricks is gonna fall, Hyunjin Ryu is gonna fall. Those are safe if he's coming at you with those three guys and then that offense, that's such a tough team to beat. So next up is Ian. Ian is one year removed from being our league champ. He made a big trade this offseason where he traded away Jose Ramirez, which I'm sure was not easy to do. But he got back two keepers in return in Trevor Bauer, who, I mean, was unbelievable last year and might bring him almost as much value as Jose Ramirez and Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who I think is going to obviously, like most people, 
ultimately be a stud. He's murdering the ball this spring, just absolutely murdering it. So he's set up kind of nicely. His third keeper in this situation, it looks like he is leaning Strasburg. Is that right? I'm going to look at Ian's team right now. Yeah, so he's leaning Strasburg. We'll see how Strasburg deals with this injury. Ian might change that before the draft, but let's assume he stays pat. Strasburg, Guerrero, and Bauer. Um, John, you can start us off for this one. Off the board is Kyle Tucker. Off the board is Clayton Kershaw, George Springer, Corbin Burns, and Tyler Glasnow. So if you're Ian, you've already got two starting pitchers in the bag. What are you using this pick on? Um, honestly, I think I would use it on um, – I think I would, I would actually use it on whoever the best uh, – second baseman available. I I think I'm actually leaning more towards Cattell Marte. Uh, he's shown an outstanding kind of exit velocity that we haven't seen that I think he was affected a little bit last year. I don't know by what, but I don't think we're just one year removed from him being an outstanding keeper. Um, and I think if he could get somebody like Cattell Marte or even someone like, uh, or even if Whit Merrifield is there, somebody who's a, a really kind of one of those top tier second baseman, I think I would actually go uh, Marte over uh, with Merrifield, I think I would kind of lean towards that direction. Or, you know, actually, I I would go either Marte or I think the risk. I, I think the the more the sexier pick, if you will, for this would be Randy Arozarena because we don't know what we're getting there. Uh, like it, he could be this next tier keeper. Um, he could get you a little bit of everything, and I think having a core around Arozarena and around. Um, Vlad and Bauer could really set him up quite nicely for the following year as well. I like all of those picks, actually. I think um, one more hat or name I'll throw into the hat. <laughs> hat I'll throw into the name. Um, what about Mondesi? Like you said him, like I think like a pick ago, and I'm like, you know, my brain like immediately immediately was like, ugh, Mondesi this early, no thanks. But like, but. I don't know. Now that I'm thinking about it with Ian, it's like he's got somebody with Vlad who theoretically, like if they hit their peak this year, they're going to be a huge power source. Right. And then if you lock in somebody like Mondesi, who if he also hits his peak this year, you know, not even just in terms of like contact or any of those skills, but just in terms of stolen bases and what he provides for you. That means you have somebody who's going to like lock in stolen bases for you as well. So you've got like a dude with huge power, a dude who's going to like win you steals every week. And then you've got two aces. So I don't know. I mean, I think that that's just like kind of an interesting name to throw in there. I haven't really kept um, track with his spring. I'm sure he's striking out a lot and I'm sure he is stealing um, a decent amount of bases, but I don't know. I think that that's something to consider maybe. So I'm going to, I'm going to push back on both of these choices. I mean, I, let me be fair. I really like to tell And if he goes that way, that's fine. But to have my two hitters after the first round be Vladimir Guerrero and then either, either Mondesi or, or Cattell Marte. I mean, there's there's a lot of risk there. And let's not forget that Strasburg's already dealing with an injury. He's coming off surgery on his hand. It wasn't that serious. If I was Ian, the smart move might just be to take a safe starting pitcher, like a like a Lance Lynn, and then take hitters with your next like four picks. Just throw a bunch of darts. I'd be worried about starting with a Mondesi or a Randy Arozarena. Actually, out of all those guys, I think Marte would be my most likely because he has that great on base percentage. Modesty is purely a one category player. And in rotisserie, that's fine. Like a five by five setting, that's fine because it's such a hard category. But in a seven by seven, you guys see this for me every year. I don't care about steals. Like, okay, you can win steals. I'll win the 13 other categories. And that's fine with me because Modesty of all these categories, he is not going to contribute a thing in walks. 
And based on his hard hit percentage, he had a pretty decent exit velocity last year. He's not, I don't believe the power is all that crazy with him. So I think at this point, the bats that are available either aren't that great for our league or just a little too risky for my liking for my first round pick. So he's going to have to take a starting pitcher eventually. I'd rather get the insurance and take a player like Lance Lynn, who is not sexy, but he has one of the best fastballs in all of baseball. He's on a great team. He's going to rack up the wins. He might throw more innings than anybody in baseball this year. He did it last year. I think he'd be a pretty solid pick. I'll give the nod to John on this one. I'll say he goes Marte. I think that would be a perfectly fine pick. But this is this is a tough one. Ian's in an interesting position where his possible range of outcomes is crazy. Um but anyway, any final thoughts there? Lance Lynn would be comfortable with that one? Yeah, I think that would be the safe pick. John's pick of Marte would be kind of like the middle tier, and then my Montessi pick would be like the tinfoil. I'd also maybe, you know, maybe even a safer pitcher like Ryu or Hendricks who's going to get those innings for you, I think could be interesting as well. I don't think Ryu or Hendricks are as safe as Lynn. Like, I mean, you say even more safe. I think Lynn might be safer than, particularly in our league, because Lynn will actually get strikeouts. Those two guys are not going to get a lick of strikeouts and it looks like Rio is going to be in Dunedin this year, which uh, is probably a more hitter heavy park, just something to consider, but he keeps the ball on the ground. He should be fine. So let's move on. Uh, let's assume it was Marte that came off the board. And next up we have Damon. We all know Damon loves his young guys, loves his prospects. He's going to have his pick of the litter. If the draft goes the way that we are, I don't want to say predicting, but just theorizing at the moment. He does have a keeper set that involves one of the players that I think is being most severely underappreciated this year in drafts, and that's Aaron Judge. His other two are Eloy Jimenez and Walker Buehler. So I think it's safe to say he's not going to go outfield, and he doesn't need to go starting pitcher. Buehler's obviously awesome. So at least he has that luxury. He can kind of go best player available, unless it's an outfielder. Which way would you lean here, Chris? I would probably lean pitcher, just because I think that between Judge and uh, Eloy, like you're obviously hoping you're getting full seasons out of them. And if you do, then you are pretty much all set in the power department and, you know, not, they're not going to kill you for average at all. And they're going to have a ton of counting stats. So I would probably lean pitcher in this scenario. Um, if Lance Lynn is available, I'd probably go there and I probably wouldn't even hesitate at all because you've got three guys that are younger, a little bit riskier than uh, a lot of the other safer keepers, but you get somebody who's just going to provide ample um, stats and um, county stats and, uh, you know, like you said, should rack up wins now that he's with the White Sox. Um, yeah, I think that Lance Lynn would be the safest, uh, easiest pick for me in this situation if I was Damon. Yeah, especially being in that AL Central division and everything, I think that's uh, that's kind of more along the lines of like what you're kind of looking for, uh, especially for him where he can afford to take somebody who's a little bit older because of what he already has. Yeah, I, I, so I can I can concur with Lynn. I think that's a pretty safe bet. I also think it's a nice balance because who knows what the inning total is going to be for Walker Bueller. He wasn't really allowed to pitch deep into games last year. He did come out obviously a lot more on the playoffs, but his just pure innings pitch was like 36 innings pitched or something like that. So having Lynn be that safe, you know, deep into games starting pitcher, I think that's a, that's a pretty solid pick. So now we have off the board as a recap, um, we had Chris taking glass. Now, number one, we had Andrew taking Tucker, number two. Third off the board was Jimmy taking Kershaw. Fourth was Varen taking Springer. We then had Matt going, someone remind me, we had Matt going with Jose Abreu, I believe, right? I think so. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, Jose Abreu. 
Um, after that, we have Ian going with a starting pitch. No, we had him going with uh, Cattell Marte. And now we just have Damon taking none other than Lance Lynn. So is this how it's going to go? Almost definitely not. The sleek always surprises us. Everybody values their, their players completely different from everybody else. But it's still a fun exercise to walk our way through. We're almost halfway through the draft here. Next up, we have Josh. Josh is keeping Luis Castillo and Aaron Nola. That is such a solid pair of starting pitchers that I wouldn't even be considering starting pitcher at this point, particularly because my only keeper hitter is Tim Anderson, who I, I am much lower on than just about everybody else in the fantasy baseball community. I, will, I don't think he's going to be bad. I just think particularly in our format, he doesn't walk. One of his greatest strengths is stolen bases. You guys know how I feel about that. I'm, I'm just not interested in Tim Anderson. So if it were me, and I'll lead us off here, I, I actually really like the idea of taking a Eugenio Suarez here. I think he provides something that Anderson doesn't, and that's 40 homer pop. I think he's he's a pretty safe bet. to, to He's not really an injury risk guy. He's going to gain shortstop eligibility. Not that you need it with Tim Anderson, but still it's going to be nice to have that versatility. I like Suarez here. A lot of pop, a lot of juice. John, what were you thinking here for Josh? I was thinking actually the same exact thing. I was thinking Suarez. I was thinking either Suarez or if you wanted to go a little bit younger, because I know that sometimes people I, – I know Tim Anderson is young, but if he didn't want to keep you know, a shortstop who – you know, it's a pretty deep position along with uh, a shortstop that doesn't really offer anything aside from average in a league that has this many categories and includes total bases um, – I'd even entertain the idea of keep, of going Jordan Alvarez uh, to go for younger with potentially more pop. I know there's people who are very skeptical about that, but um, I, I think that would be something also. to. Yeah, I love that. Actually, the Jordan pick. Um, for me, if I was thinking about um, drafting hitters uh, at this point, I would also take a look at JT Real Muto, believe it or not, just as like the best catcher overall. I think if you kind of lock that in, um, that's a lot of uh, – value for a position that is pretty much valueless at this point. Um, so if I'm in somebody like Evan's situation where I'm just like, you know what I mean? I have Tim Anderson and I don't really know how that's going to go. Um, I'll, I'll try to just take a, um, a bet on like a first, like, like the first overall ranked player of a position maybe with uh, real Muto. But if I was going to, you know, like just be like, eh, whatever with catcher in general. Um, I also like Conforto here. Um, dude just went off last year. Um, he had, he's entering his, I think 20 age 28 or age 29 season. So I think, I still think that he's, um, got like a few solid years of prime, um, sort of play in him. Um, and he might be keeper worthy. Um, he might've been keeper worthy this year, who knows? But, um, yeah, I think that any of these picks would be, would be really good uh, picks to make if I were Evan, a lot of, a lot of options. Yeah, I don't mind the Conforto pick at all. Uh, and I, I love the idea of real Muto actually. That kind of got me thinking because, if you're worried, all right, my only hitter going into this draft is Tim Anderson. So I really want to raise the floor of my offense. Well, if you know that catcher is not only not going to be this gaping hole for your team, because somebody is going to end up with the 16th catcher, then that really raises the floor for your offense. So I kind of like that pick. Uh, I think I'm going to stay committed to the Suarez one here, if that works for you guys. I think that's, to me, the safest and smartest option. But I do I do like the idea of raising the floor there with, uh, with JT Real Muto. All right, so we got Josh taking Suarez, and next up, hopefully the real draft doesn't take this long. That would be a little <laughs> bit of a bummer, uh, is Zach. Now, our listeners who are not in the league should understand that this is the one of the craziest keeper sets in the like 15-year history of this league. He has Juan Soto, 
Fernando Tatis Jr. and Bryce Harper. That is, I, I don't know if I take, I, I don't know if he needs to take a hitter for like 96 rounds. He could probably take the next 96 rounds off taking pitchers and still end up with one of the best offenses in the league. That is just a bonkers situation, especially when you consider total bases as well as walks. I mean, that team's out of control. So I think he's clearly going pitcher. What are you thinking, Chris? Believe it or not, I don't really care for a lot of the safer picks here. Um, we're still talking the first round. And if I'm taking Hyunjin Ryu or Kyle Hendricks in the first round, I'm just, I'm going to be walking home so disappointed. <laughs> like, it's just, it's not, I'm not even going to be able to control my emotions. I'll just be crying for days. But I think that somebody who's intriguing here would maybe be Max Freed. Um, he's on a great team, obviously. He had a breakout season last year. He's still uh, young enough to be considered keeper-worthy, I think, for years to come. Um, the only issue that I have is that we do rely on strikeouts quite a bit, and his K per nine uh, last season was not very strong, not even a strikeout per inning. So to have him as my ace, I kind of have to think strikeouts, be strikeout heavy for the rest of the draft. But, you know, like you were just saying with Zach, he has the the luxury to do that when he has three amazing hitters as his keepers. So I don't know. I might go with somebody with the upside, like uh, Max Freed. Is Paddock still on the board? Is Paddock still on the board? Paddock yeah, I think so. Still on the board. Correct. Yeah. I'd go Paddock easily. I, I, I think that's, that's my go-to on there. Yeah. We've talked about him a lot. I think I would go with Chris Paddock as well. Um, Chris, your choice. Sorry. It just escaped me. Max Freed. I, Freed's coming off a better season. I, I think they're a lot closer than people might think in the keeper league. I would be fine with either. I do like the upside more of Paddock, though. I think I think that's how this is going to go down, honestly. Yeah, no, I totally I totally agree with John on that one. Yeah. All right, so we'll, we'll pencil Zach in for Paddock. If, however, let's say Josh gets crazy and takes Chris Paddock, at that point, if my options are all of these guys who don't get strikeouts, you're kind of safe. You know, your Berrios, Ryu, Hendricks, the guys that Chris was, was rattling off there. Freed, we can loop in there, right? Maybe he does just commit to having this, like, this, like, absolute Batman villain offense and takes, I don't know, I don't want to say Alberto Montesi because he already has a shortstop, but, like, whoever the best hitter is left on the board, it could be a Trent Grisham, it could be Suarez if Josh ended up taking Pat. It could be Conforto. Right. Yeah, it could be Conforto, Absolutely. All of a sudden, like, whoa, now this offense is truly crazy, but then the pitching might be a disaster. So I'll pencil him in for Paddock, and let's roll on. Uh, next up is Drew. Drew is keeping all hitters, and I love one of them. Christian Yellick is phenomenal. I actually love Pete Alonso as well. Javi Baez, a very Babbitt-dependent player. I think he's kind of similar to Tim Anderson in that way, although Tim Anderson is for some reason going like 40 rounds in front of him. It's a pretty safe offensive base. But now we have Paddock, Lynn, uh, Kershaw, and Glass now off the board. And oh boy, is the pitching getting a little ugly. It really puts the Evan trade for Zach Allen into perspective here. So what is Drew doing with this pick? Does he just suck it up and take a pitcher because he thinks he has to? Or do you just say, you know what, let's keep building this offense. We'll start off with John. I think it's that time, boys. I think it's that time in the draft. And I think I, I think you already know what time it is. It's showtime. I think Shohei Otani is going to go with this pick. I think that, you know, with what's available and, uh, you know, kind of with Drew's keeper set right now, you need a wild card. You want something that's going to really, really, really shuffle the deck and shake things up. And, you know, the ceiling for Shohei Otani is kind of like, what, the best player in, in our league since he's ESPN and he can play both. He can play, he can flip back and forth. 
Uh, where it's like, you know, the floor is terrible, but that ceiling, baby, I think that is, I think that is what's going to, uh, what would propel me with this pick because nothing is really jumping out on me. And that to me is like, all right, at least, at least let's see, let's roll the dice. Let's go to Vegas, baby. See what happens. I, <laughs> I love, I love all that commentary, but, uh, underneath it all. Yeah. I do kind of agree. I don't know. I, as somebody who has the first overall pick, it's like, I thought about taking Shohei Otani with my first overall pick. I really like, you know what I mean? Like the thought had entered into my brain. I didn't entertain it for very long and I don't, and I don't think I'll ever entertain it again. But like when he's sitting there as dual eligible for starting pitching and um, hitting and he's, you know, he's really, he's doing pretty well this spring, you know, not like super great, but I could see it. I could see things going well for him this year. And at least, you know, being like, literally the darling of everybody's trade list um at least for the first couple of weeks john's just laughing hysterically right now um because he he knows that i'm like i hate agreeing with him in this situation but i am um i don't know if i want to take it safe i i think that maybe going like a hitter here would be really really good like just a pure hitter not otani um but uh, who's who's still available you know what i mean like you know if if real muto still is on the board that's that's a really really good thing to add to your already hitter um stacked kind of like keeper set um to have the best overall catcher that might be pretty safe or um yeah i don't know it might be showtime if if i may if i may quote the the tim and eric show the fact that uh the fact that he's going to be be pretty much two players in one it's free real estate that's what it is. I mean, I so uh, if somebody should take him here in the first round, it probably should be true. So I won't. It, it won't be me. I'll put it that way. I mean, like at this point in the draft, like I think the clear best hitters and the clear best pitchers are obviously gone, and the pitcher part hurt hurts because that's what he needs. I could see him if he's if. And Otani's very polarizing, so who knows how Drew feels about him? If he thinks like, no, I don't, I don't want anything to do with Otani, then maybe just locking up an elite closer is the way to go. It wouldn't be what I would do because I view saves the way I kind of view stolen bases, except even easier to get during the season. So I don't really invest a whole lot in that position. With that said, I mean, you at least you're contributing to your overall pitching staff. And you're getting a guy who has a K per nine of like 17 if you take Josh Hader. So I that could be the pick here. I'll give it Otani just because, I mean, why not? No, don't. Don't. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> really? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I think he, I do think he's going to go in the first round, Chris. And and out of all these, like it, he is a starting pitcher. He's going to be great for strikeouts per nine when he does pitch. And they're going with a six-man rotation. So maybe it keeps him healthy has DH open. We are a daily league, which drastically increases the value of Shohei Otani. So I'm fine with it. I, I I could see him going earlier than this. I could definitely see him going later. I just know he's not going to go at pick 13. So um, with that said, I'll pencil Drew in for Otani. Who the heck knows how Drew feels about him? And, you know, I'm sure at this point we've maybe got one of these, like, you know, 10 picks correct. So we'll see what's actually on the board. But at this point... It is now up to Brian. Brian has a really nice keeper set himself. I'm uh, pulling it up right now. So he has Freddie Freeman, DJ LeMahieu, who's pretty much eligible everywhere. I think we can assume he's going to be putting him at second base, though. 
and Trey Turner at shortstop. So again, another guy who's stuck because there's a clear drop off in pitching and yet his hitting is loaded. So what does Brian do here, Chris? Yeah, it's a tough call. Um, I think that maybe one of the pitchers that we've already talked about who's still kind of lingering might be the safest option. Um, if you want to go for potential upside uh, in terms of a keeper, maybe you go with Freed. If you want to kind of like lock in a safer pick, maybe you go with Ryu or Hendricks. Um, it's not it's not the sexiest pick in the world, but it might end up being the thing that pushes you into playoff contention. Um, if you kind of just bite the bullet and take one of these boring guys. If Brian's taught me one thing, um, as, as I've faced him three times last year, both, uh, both in my division and then in the championship, uh, Brian makes a lot of moves. You know, he made, he traded Soto with kind of just kind of this win now mentality. He's got Freeman. He's got LeMahieu. He's not getting, any younger with his team. Um, that being said, I think I agree with Chris with uh, whoever is available as um, whoever is available as a uh, as a starting pitcher. But uh, I think to even go a little bit further, like why not take somebody like uh, why not take Charlie Blackman? I could give you a lot of reasons why not to take. Charlie no, I know, I know, I know. But like, I just mean somebody, somebody of that caliber, whether it's whether it's Charlie Blackman or uh, or Trent Grisham, somebody, somebody who can get you like a little bit of each of the categories, um, you know, or even go like kind of the closer route. There's a lot of different ways you can go. I wouldn't go the closer route, but I think this early. But I think that you could definitely go Grisham and uh, and kind of feel comfortable that like there's a high ceiling to this guy. Um, there's a low floor, but especially on that Padres lineup and somebody could steal bags, that might be something worth looking into. Yeah, I like Grisham. I think he'd be a perfectly fine pick, but I'm going to pencil Brian in for Max Freed. We all know Brian loves his Braves. I think it's it's really going to come down to two players for him, and it's going to be Freed versus Ian Anderson. And I just think Ian Anderson, as amazing as he is, and let's not kid ourselves, he has a much higher ceiling than Max Freed. He's going to be capped at probably like 120 innings this year. And that really matters even more for us being a head-to-head league because that means probably towards the end of the year, Anderson is shut down and that could be our playoffs. So I think the pick here is almost definitely going to be, well, I shouldn't say almost definitely going to be, but in our hypothetical situation, it would probably be Max Freed. Um, So now we've got a run here of three pitchers, Paddock, Otani, and Freed. Obviously, Otani kind of features as both. The next person on the clock would be Paul. Paul has a young keeper set. Um, Paul is currently rolling with, I apologize, uh, Bo Bichette, Claver Torres, and Luis Robert. So there's many different directions that keeper set could go, but I think we would all agree it's probably going to be pretty good. The bummer is that he already has utility filled. I would not go hitter here like we just talked about. I think he's going to go pitcher. I think he's going to go Jesus Lozardo. Um, it's a it's a blend of youth, which Paul, based on his keeper set, clearly values the youth. If I'm him, I'm thinking, all right, my next pick actually isn't that far from now in a snake draft. I think one of the solid, safe starting pitchers will fall to my next pick, be it a Ryu or a Hendricks or whoever. And I think pairing one of those guys with Jesus Lazardo provides a, a, a safe enough floor, but also a decent enough ceiling to end up with a pretty solid rotation. Um, as he continues to build throughout the draft. So I was thinking Lazardo. 
I forget who I let start off last time. So I'll just start with Chris. Chris, what do you think Paul is going to do here? Yeah, I think that Paul definitely goes for upside, um, but he doesn't really, you know, just kind of take like blank flyers on guys. He has to have like a reason for taking them. And I think that there are many reasons why you would take Luzardo here. I took him last year in the first round. It obviously didn't end up being um, the right decision. He had some things going on last year with covid he was just like he kind of got pulled for a little bit like a little bit later maybe for covid again i don't even remember or just like some other injury so he didn't really amount to um, a first well i guess i used my second round pick on him and in our league that's like a fifth round pick so it didn't but it didn't warrant the pick that i used on him regardless this year i think it might be a little bit different um oakland is somebody that can always is a team that they can always win games um so i think that the wins are going to be there enough for him to be worthy of this pick and i think that you know just in terms of upside what this dude could deliver you is like a k per nine of about 10 and um an era in the low threes or even below that on a really really great season um and you know low whip he doesn't walk a a ton of guys um sometimes he can get into trouble and on those occasions you know what i mean he he can deliver some walks but like that's every pitching prospect in baseball right ever that ever has any upside so you know it's like the story's the same with him as it's been for Blake Snell or any of the other lefties that kind of just like came up and and took the league by storm so I would I would think Luzardo's a good pick here yeah I, I I'm with you on Luzardo John what are your thoughts you concur are we three for three on a pick here um no uh, because, uh, I, I, the only reason why I, I hold off on Lazardo, I, I kind of like, and he's, I don't think he would be drafted because, because I don't think that Paul, because I think the, I think the pre-draft rankings can play into people's picks and everything. I think Julio Urias is a better pick than Lazardo. I think, I think he has more guaranteed innings on a team that's going to win more games. I think that he has that kind of, I think he has a similar ceiling to Lizardo, and I think he's going to have a kind of free range to go. I don't think Paul's going to do that. Um, but if you were asking me what I would do in that position, I think I would go with uh, Urias. So I'm going to push back on everything there. I, I think I'm not going to push back on the fact that the Dodgers are going to win more games than Oakland. But, I mean, Urias was, was the Dodgers' most important reliever in their World Series run last year. They're going to start him in the rotation. But let's not forget, I mean, two years ago, he was in this shared position with Ross Stripling where he would pitch four and then Stripling would come in or Stripling would start and then Urias would come in. They might just be viewing him long-term as a reliever. If they were, then they wouldn't be starting him, so that's fair. But at some point, like you have to accept for what these guys are best at. Urias is not a guy who throws three different pitches like most starters. He's someone who has not throughout his entire career gone deep into games. And let's not forget that Dustin May and Tony Gonzalez don't even have a spot in the rotation at the moment. So if one of them surpasses Urias or they need Urias in the pen, I think that's a possibility. And even if that doesn't happen, even if they just say, no, Julio's in the rotation, period, I still see Jesus Lazardo outperforming him. I'm going to pencil in Paul for Lazardo here just because the, the the two to one vote. Um it is interesting, though, that you throw Urias out there because I, he is not even remotely on my radar at this point in the draft. So, look, former top pitching prospect in baseball, right? He might have been the top pitching prospect in baseball. But you could make the case that Lazardo was that last year um, and the year before that. So, uh, I, I don't think I would take – I have Urias in uh, – we talked about how many leagues I'm in this year. I have him in none. So, if he does great this year, I will not see any benefit of that. 
So I'll pencil Paul in for Jesus Lazardo, and uh, then it's me on the clock. And I realize this is ill-advised for me to talk about my own pick, but I think with Max Scherzer and Lucas Giolito already in the bag, I think what I need is a little bit different from most people. Um, I had Nick Castellanos last year, and he hit like 220, but I still really, really like him. So there's a chance I take him, but at this point, if if Trent Grisham is still on the board, I mean, I think there's more power in in Grisham than ESPN might be getting out here. They're projecting him for 25 homers. He definitely, I'm looking it up, what did he do last year? He had 10 homers in just 215 at-bats, so I think he could easily, he's going to have the volume. If he's leading off for the Padres, he's going to have like 650 plate appearances, if not more. He has great plate skills. Um, he's great at getting on base. He's a walker. So at this point, between Grisham and Castellanos, that's going to be really, really tough. I think I'll go with Castellanos, even though I just hyped up Grisham, because I think the Reds were the most unlucky team in baseball last year. They had the lowest Babbitt as a team in baseball by like something egregious, like 70 points. Castellanos, I think you know his line drive percentage, sort of everything is trending up for him. So I'd go with Castellanos, but passing up on Trent Grisham to take Nick Castellanos, that is a reach. So I don't know if that's what I'm going to end up doing in a week, but as of right now, that is the plan. So guys, give me some feedback. What would you do in my position? Well, here's the thing. I don't know how how you consider your keeper set. Um, you know, you're somebody that does make deals and like they won't hesitate to move big name players if they think that the return that they're getting um is fair and for you i know that a fair return usually includes a player that is at least keeper worthy so i know that you're not like going to hesitate if a a good deal comes this year to upgrade your keepers um whether or not you're in a position to win i think that you're you're just kind of like you'll seize on an opportunity um so but i i don't know if, if you like really have the confidence that you've had in years past with um at least with uh, Scherzer getting up there in age. And uh, Giolito, you know, he's been really, really good the last two years. Don't you say anything negative about Lord Lucas. I know. And and I don't have anything negative to say about it. I really, I truly don't. It's just that, like, you know what I mean? He's probably, him and Bregman are, like, your two locked keepers, but that still leaves one slot. You know what I mean? So, so for for me, I would think that you'd be inclined to go with a guy that has a safe safer floor, but definitely a lot of upside. So I would think the Grisham would maybe be your pick. Um, I uh, agree. I mean, if it was between those two, uh, I would definitely go Grisham. Um, I think uh, I think it is interesting though because when you're, I, I think when whenever you were going in keeping less than. Uh, We'll say less than two hitters into uh, into the draft, whether it's uh, one or none. I think that you kind of have to get creative, um, and I think that if you're going, and I think Grisham or somebody who can get you bags is kind of going to be a little bit more uh, carry a little bit more weight than somebody who might have a little bit of pop and then have like you know a two sixty average because I think there's plenty of those guys still left in the draft. Uh, now, granted, there's you don't know we don't know what's going to happen with the dead ball, and that's something we haven't really talked about. And I don't want to get into, but I, I would definitely lean towards somebody who can get a couple of bags because if you can get some steals on the board, that's getting something further. Yeah, that's a fair way to look at it. I there's one thing you said that I agree with 100. percent It's kind of a philosophy I've been going into all my drafts with this year, and that's your 30 homer, 90 plus RBI guys. They are found up and down the draft. They are everywhere. 
And that kind of summarizes Nick Castellanos. So it's really not that attractive of a pick. I just, when I look at him individually, I really like him. It's, it is my pick, so I'm going to pencil in Castellanos, but don't be surprised if if we are somehow like mages and this draft goes exactly how we're arranging it. Don't be surprised if I go Grisham, but right now I got to admit I'm leaning Castellanos. I just, I need more than a 60 game sample size, and I, I think Castellanos has a massive ceiling uh, that might be overlooked. Either way, let's move on. Chris Bliss is next up. He is one of the best players in this league, in my opinion consistently in contention he's passing up on keeping jose abreu in order to keep two starting pitchers and you know we've all talked about chris's strategies of pitching in the past about like streaming starters and stuff like that so the fact that even he is like starting to commit to pitching more and more the last couple years sticks out to me as a clear shift in the landscape of our league Um, but his one hitter is also pretty awesome in trevor story so he doesn't necessarily have to take a hitter if he really wanted to solidify even further his Flaherty and who is his other Jack Darvish, Fla- right? Flaherty and you Darvish combination. I, I, you know, I could see him doing that as well. And now we got to keep in mind that he's also going to be picking very soon. So who knows what he's going to do with that second pick. But in this situation, John, what would you be doing if you were Chris Bliss? Well, Chris Bliss kind of has the, uh, has the Josh deluxe meal uh, because Josh has a shortstop and two starting pitchers. And I kind of like Bliss's shortstop and two starting pitchers a little bit more. Um, but I think with, with, uh, bliss, I like with it a lot landscape more. right now, um, <laughs> with bliss is the current landscape right now, I think without question, and you're going to, and I think a lot of you are going to fight me on this by a lot of me, both of you, um, is I would absolutely go Josh Hader. I, uh, I think I would go with Josh Hader or somebody who's an elite closer, maybe Edwin Diaz, somebody that you can get that category, because I think the, the set of pitchers the set of hitters that are there he's just going to get back in the same realm right there and he can build off of uh off of kind of having those elite stats uh and boosting up those k9s that you're going to see with those two starting pitchers um as opposed to kind of bringing down those stats in the meantime or trying to build around a shortstop because again like i even with trevor's story arenado out of the lineup a bunch of guys who are going to strike out a billion times going to see uh like i think that Story's value might go a little bit down this year. Um, so yeah, that that's kind of my mentality. But if Story's value goes down, then shouldn't he be taking a hitter instead of a reliever? That's where I. That's definitely where I tend to think as well. Because Grisham, Grisham is still on the board at this point, and I would be hard pressed to take a, a closer over Trent Grisham. I think it depends. I think it depends on like what the what the strategy is there. I think I I, I think Grisham would be fine, especially because you're building off of like. You know the stat story has story has kind of a like a better similar player to Grisham in a different position, obviously. But um, I I don't know. I, I feel like if you you kind of like I said, you, you got to get creative if you're having like one of those. And I don't think that uh, I don't think necessarily going closer is is going to be a bad move, especially on a team like the Brewers or like the Mets. Um, those, I mean, the only argument that I, I would really feel strongly against would be the fact that, you know, those players might be available later. And in that case, yeah, absolutely. Or at least that you could get the value that they, like, realistically provide you a little bit later. Because there is going to be a lot of closers that go later that provide the same value as Diaz or Hader, maybe. I mean, you know, 
that's definitely it could be a stretch just because what they what hater gives you at least is just undeniably so great but if you didn't want to go closer which i think that there are plenty of reasons why you wouldn't i think that grisham's a perfectly fine candidate i think that conforto if he's still on the board is a perfectly fine candidate and if you wanted to even go safer than that and you already have somebody like trevor story who's a good source of power and speed and you wanted to kind of like add on to that starling Marte is right there too who's done it year in and year out he's almost done like what you're hoping out of grisham um he's done that for the past like three or four years so i wouldn't hate that pick if you wanted to go safety and i know that um chris bliss in terms of his hitting he definitely leans on the safer options you know you look at who he's had in the past like blackman um he had jose abreu he had these guys that you know they're older and they they're they're not not necessarily coming with the same upside as somebody like grisham but they're going to provide you elite value and he, he definitely looks for those types. So I would add to that list um, both J.D. Martinez and Whit Merrifield as well as potential candidates. Uh, you know, Martinez is not safe after the year he just had, but I think he's going to be pretty awesome. We don't want to assume he fills DH, though. I could totally see Starling Marte. He's fallen enough in this draft. It's just Marte is not a huge on-base guy, which makes him, like, you know, another stolen base guy that I'm not overly thrilled with at the same time like you said Marte does offer quite a bit of power so I can get behind that because I don't I don't think Marte is going to continue to fall I can also I can get behind Hater. I just if I was him I would wait I'd say like what you said before all right I pick in like four or five picks so whichever of Hendricks or haters is gone I'll just take the other and I think that'd be a fine strategy so I'll pencil him in for Marte I think you make a good point Chris about how Bliss likes to go a little safe He's now got, he doesn't, I, I think it's a stupid category, but he doesn't have to worry about steals with both Marte and Story now. So solid. And Adalberto Montesi just continues to plummet here uh, as we go to last year's runner up, who's already made a pick. So now we've got Matt again. We have his team as Lindor, Ramirez, and Trout, which we know will be his team. But we took for him Jose Abreu. So now we're going to assume he's going to go starting pitcher. I would think maybe he goes crazy and says i'm going to do this weird elite hitting bullpen situation but chris what would you do in that situation i don't know because you pick again very very soon as well right um because that's his actual pick so it's going to get turned around very quickly correct i'm looking right now because i I'm, i just wanted to make it's not yeah it it's not the pick you pick. traded for right yeah, that's that's his actual yeah. pick. So it's going to turn. So he'll pick in two no, more. No, he picks won't after. pick in two more picks because he traded his second round pick. To uh, so he, oh, that's he right. moved up. He didn't really. All right. Yeah. Well, if he did have those two back to back picks, I could almost understand taking Hater and Diaz and calling it a day. But um, I don't think that that's the move. Um, I think that that would be a risky move, and I don't think that he would be inclined to do that. Um, so I think that I guess starting pitching is the way to go here. Um. You know, there's a couple of names that are still sort of exciting, I guess, right? Like, have we taken, have we taken Freed off the board? Have we taken, you know, somebody like Sonny Gray is really, really interesting yes. here. I think at the tail end of the first round, um, he, you know, he kind of had an up and down year last year dealing with injuries, but at the beginning of the year, he was freaking awesome, and he was adding on to that amazing 2019 like Cy Young runner-up uh, worthy kind mm -hmm. of season. So I don't know. I think that that might be a good move. Uh, if you're intrigued by some other people like Plesak, I guess, or I don't know, Berrios, maybe if you want to be a boring dude. But I, I think that I think Sonny Gray might be a good move here. I don't think Berrios is a boring dude. I think that uh, I think actually that might be uh, 
I think I would definitely lean more towards uh, building a staff around Barrios or around uh, or around Hendricks. Um, I think especially with Jose Barrios, I believe I could be wrong here, but I think he did have like a uh, I think he did have a 200 strikeout season. Um, and like he definitely like has the uh, yeah, he had 202 two years ago. Uh, or sorry, about How three years ago. And now this. he's going to be. Uh, he pitched uh, the year before two hundred. Uh, the year before last, two hundred innings, then one ninety two. So you're not going to have to worry or, about or he's him. A, he's a strikeout in it. Yeah, That's I mean, fine. but but in plus that though, like there's still I think that Brios can still kind of improve. Um, he's not he's not old. I don't know if there's necessarily another level up there that he can get. But uh, but this is a guy who who always kind of has a pretty decent uh decent whip as well um and i think especially in that al central i mean aside from the white Sox, like look at what you're dealing with there um even just kind of with the you know i think the the argument would be him and hendrix are kind of very similar and i think hendrix might have a little bit of an easier time with that nl central but i also kind of like the fact that brios could potentially take it to another level and get more uh more so usage. I, I don't see the upside of Berrios that much I think we pretty much know who he is but I I'm gonna side with John here on Berrios just because I think when you're when your hitting is that good and his hitting is going to be absolutely stupid I would just want to get a safe reliable starting pitcher and I I do like Berrios more than uh than, than Kyle Hendricks here so and I like him more than Ryu. So I think Berrios is kind of the pick. To Chris's point about Gray, if Gray was healthy, I'd, I'd be taking Gray. But this is now his second back injury in, in the course of, I think, 365 days. And I know he's supposed to be back like a week or two weeks into the season. But ah, a back injury for a starting pitch, when I already have such a safe floor for my offense, just get me the pitching that is just going to get me where I want to go. And I think Berrios is a perfect candidate for that. Yeah, I definitely, after thinking about it, because you know what, like, what if he does improve to John's point? Like not that it's not saying that there's much there to say that he will, but like if he's a strikeout and inning guy and he wins a ton of games because he's on a great team, then that's what you need to anchor your staff. So I'm, I'm on board with Berrios. And the big thing here is again, we're a quality starts league and Berrios should be a lock for a lot of quality starts. It's, it's not an exciting pick at all. I, I don't see the upside yeah, that you guys see. I mean, I meant, I meant to say, like, when I said boring, you'll be thought of as a boring guy. You will be thought of as a boring guy on draft day. But what, what happens during the course of the season? Who knows? By the end of the year, you might look like a genius. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. So, John, our league champ with the last pick in the draft. And now, you, you're picking back-to-back, but Chris and I only showed our cards for one hand. So, don't you don't need to tell us what you're going to do with the second one. But if this was how the draft went, what would you do with your last pick here? I I'd go I'd definitely go Urias because I think he has that kind of uh, upside that I, I do believe in. Um, and this is the one that actually is kind of even more surprising than Urias. Uh, I would actually go with Charlie Morton. Um, his fastball has been sitting at ninety three, ninety five in the Grapefruit League. He said that he that he is uh, he's never had his fastball velocity up this early. I think last year it took him a while to kind of get going. He's pitching in Atlanta to a bunch of kind of. Eh, Okay, in the in the AL or the sorry the NL West, uh, that team's going to win a lot of games. They're going to really rely on him, and I don't think uh, like he's coming back to win. Like he was going to retire at the end of last season. Now he's like, okay, you know what? If I can go to Atlanta and maybe get a ring out of this, I'm 
yeah, let's go. And uh, I think having him and Urias would be kind of a great compliment to uh, great compliment to my guy, uh, Mr. Bieber. So I actually I like the Morton pick more than the Urias pick, and not just because. Um, no, I don't think that Urias is going to be bad, and I do think that the majority of his innings are going to come when he's starting, but there's two big risk factors that, that make me want to avoid taking him in the first round at least, um, which is that you don't know what kind of innings he's going to qual- uh, provide you when he is starting, like in terms of just how many. So in our, in our league that counts quality starts and wins and stuff like that, you know, you don't know if he's going to bring those home for you and then week in and week out. And you also just don't know what he's going to be utilized throughout the course of the season as um, in terms of a high leverage reliever or as a starter or like a combination. So I just don't feel like there's much safety there although i do really love the skill set so i'm not trying to say that i i hate the pick because if it does work out where he's a starter for the course of the season and they do need him to to really take a lot of innings which they might because the dodgers seem to need that year in and year out but they do also tend to play um a lot of games with their starting pitching in general so I don't know. I can see it working out for you, but I would maybe go with somebody else that's just a little bit more like I'm convinced is going to stick in the rotation for the course of the whole season. So there are still some names available. Um, Let me just take a look really, really quick. Pete, you can jump in if you want. I'll name some guys later if I if I uh, find any that I'm I'm really into. Yeah, I love the Morton reach because at this point, you're going to pick back to back and then there's going to be like 32 picks between now and your next pick or 31. So if you like Charlie Morton, he's not going to be there at your next pick, I don't think. And so I would absolutely scoop him. I, Julio Urias might be there the next time you pick. I, I just know I won't be taking him, like I said before. If I can say something for Urias, okay. I think the the fact I think because he's been talked about since he was what made his debut like at age eighteen or nineteen, I think that there's a lot of hype fatigue, especially because they brought him up very slow. However, he did start 10 games out of the 11 games that he appeared in last year. We are talking about a rotation that did have, you know, um, Clayton Kershaw and Walker Bueller going into last year's postseason. Um, I think that there is, I think that Urias doesn't necessarily have to prove anything necessarily anymore. I mean, he, he rocked it at 3.27 last yeah, we'll year. Get the numbers, but I just, I don't, I, I just don't get the pick. Like there's, there's still going to be like Kyle Hendricks is going to be available. We just talked about Sonny Gray. I mean, like I don't understand the need to go upside. And I think the upside is severely limited. Like, yes, he made 10 starts last year. That's great. That was 55 innings and he struck out only 45. Like, yes, we all know the upside that Julio Urias once had, and he may still have it somewhere in him. But again, it's, it's not, it's not about that. It's okay. You're not going to make a pick for another 31 picks. I, 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 I just I don't understand that. I mean, I, I'd, I'd rather have a bat and help solidify my already awesome offense, or I would want to pair someone up with Charlie Morton and Shane Bieber that I think is safer and is going to be like, there's no question in my mind that Kyle Hendricks is going to produce quality production. And if you're, if you're taking Charlie Morton, who's had some durability concerns the last few years, I think pairing him with Kyle Hendricks could be a little nice because when, when Charlie Morton inevitably has that 10 day stint, you know, you're going to have a guy who consistently goes out there every fifth day and throws six to seven innings with reasonable ratios. Julio, are you curious? I, I think it's setting up your draft to potentially be a disaster. But I am talking to the reigning champion, so I, I, I can rein it in a little bit. I just, I don't know, man. Julio Urias here, he was not even remotely 
on my radar. And again, I wanted to bring up the two pitch thing because you can say, well, yeah, they've had the kid gloves on him and so on and so forth. So they really haven't unleashed him. If you don't have a third reliable pitch, you, you do not go deep into games. Julio Urias does not have a third reliable pitch. He does not go deep into games. He throws his fastball 55% of the time. The dude completely profiles as a reliever and he's going to have to make a drastic change in his sequence and pitch approach in order to become a full-time starter and I, I don't, I'm not going to spend my first round pick on that if, if he's working his way through his sequencing and he already wasn't even producing that great of results. I just, with this early of a pick, I, I'd wait. See if he is there at your next pick. If he's not, he's somebody else's problem. I think that I'm kind of like stuck in the middle of you two. Um, I don't hate it like to the point where Pete is like saying that I think it'll set you up to fail because I think that there is a lot of upside there but I also just don't think that I'd be confident making the pick in general so some other guys that I was taking a look at if you were to decide to do pitching I would maybe lean on somebody like a wheeler who is on a good team himself had a really really safe year last year and I think is going to be reliable but I I would maybe like lean towards picking a hitter here especially if you are going to go Morton just because I think it'll balance you out a little bit better but like I said I I think I'm in between both of you I don't hate it um, so much but I I don't love it either at this point in the draft I'm just going to throw out some names that are still available Hyunjin Ryu who's finished top three in Cy Young both the last two years Kyle Hendricks Zach Wheeler Sonny Gray, who again, there's risk there, but he could be back soon. Zach Plesak coming off the season he just had. Zach Plesak just had a better season as a starter than Julio Urias has ever had as a starting pitcher. Um, I could go on. I mean, Granky as well, if you wanted to go really safe. McCullough's throwing his curveball a lot more now. That's a, that's a lot of names in front of your. And I don't even agree that ESPN has Urias above Musgrove, above Pablo Lopez, your boy Dylan Bundy, John. I. Oh, he, he definitely deserves to be above those guys, in my opinion. Like, there's no doubt about it. But um, I don't know. With the exception of McCullers, I would I would maybe feel safer about everybody you listed, at least at first, Pete. Yeah, Lopez is, is debatable. I think he has a pretty safe floor. I, I like Musgrove and Bundy and Gosman and Sixto and Corey Kluber more than your I mean, So I'm very low on your eyes. And this is the beauty of fantasy. We all, we all have our different opinions and stuff like that. I just, I, I can't even imagine taking him in the first round. Well, I'd take him first in the second. Okay. Oh, oh. that changes everything now. There you go. Just if you uh, just yeah. switch Morton and Urias, yeah. it's a totally fine pick. It's it's completely okay. That kind of does it for us, and hopefully John does take that. It'll be more players for the rest of us. So, uh, with that said, <laughs> let's do a quick recap of all of the players off the board after the first round. So we got Chris taking Glass now, Andrew taking Tucker, Jimmy going to take uh, Clayton Kershaw, Varen with George Springer, Matt with Jose Abreu. Ian with Cattell Marte, Damon with Lance Lynn, Josh Eugenio Suarez, Zach, Chris Paddock, Drew, Shohei Otani, Brian with Max Freed, Paul, Jesus Lazardo, myself taking Nick Castellanos, Chris Bliss going with Starling Marte, Matt Weller with the boring Jose Barrios, and then John with Charlie Morton. And you heard and it that's not how it's going to go. That, that's not how it's going to go at all. Oh, no. no. Probably no. half those names will be available in the second round. Um, but anyway awesome thanks for listening everybody john chris as always we'll have to do this again after the draft just to see how wrong we were so yep. uh, with that said that's it for the pitch count podcast farewell everybody.